Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Allianz Travel Insurance. If you're traveling overseas this summer, protect yourself with international travel insurance. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. Thank you so much for joining me. And I got to say, it's going to be smooth sailing today because we are devoting the entire show to the topic of cruising. Jason Cochran, my esteemed colleague, is on the line. He wrote a pretty fascinating article for Fromers.com about people who want to cruise stoned, <laughs> whether or not you can do that. Hey, Jason, I, I, I'm almost scared to ask you what your inspiration for this story was. It's simply because so many states are legalizing cannabis. I don't, I don't think it would be fun to cruise stone. Well, maybe, maybe it would. I've never done it. But so many states are legalizing cannabis that I just think people are now curious about the contours of the rules, the law, what they can do. We've written stories on Fromers.com about whether you can take cannabis from state to state uh, right. at the airport and, you know, and the legalities and the practicalities about that. And, uh, you know, I was wondering the same thing about cruising because, you know, now in many states where it has been legalized on a recreational basis, you can get on a cruise ship and go somewhere. So I want to know, can I I bring my whatever on board the cruise ship? I think probably a lot of listeners are guessing that you can bring on cannabis from the states in which it's legal, but that's not correct, right? It's not correct. And the reason it's not correct is because cruise lines, um, especially the ones that are flagged in America or were operating from, you know, have he- American headquarters, uh, fleet-wide, they have to obey federal law, not state law. And oh. federal law still has not caught up with the states after all these years, and, and it's still considered, uh, you know, a, a forbidden substance if, uh, federally. Now, you right. know, will you be, you know, hauled out of there by the FBI? Probably not. But the all the cruise lines explicitly ban cannabis. And now we're not just talking, you know, leaf or with which is what they weed, you know, smokable pot. We right. even mean edibles. We huh. even mean just cannabis derived or cannabis related items like some CBD oils uh, and uh, cannabis with a prescription. It all falls oh. in the category of you may not on a cruise ship. Some of the cruise lines have been pretty vocal about saying it's a problem for them. In fact, earlier this year, Carnival, which is, of course, you know, kind of a celebratory cruise line. People get on and have a good time. They're well known for it. Their president, Christine Duffy, made a video in which she linked cannabis use to unruly behavior, which, you know, may or may not be a true thing. But she said it's very clear that her cruise company does not want cannabis substances on Carnival ships entirely. And they've gone so far on Carnival, on some voyages, they have dogs sniffing guests while they walk to dinner. I think a lot of people assume that it's just at the ports where they're policing this stuff. Carnival, at least, has admitted that, no, it's not just at the port that they're policing. And they don't tell us which ships and when, but on board some ships, they will sniff out customers. I've had, you know, we've posted this article earlier this week, and we've had some readers write in and say, isn't that interesting? Carnival has these drink packages where people can drink themselves under the, the bar, but <laughs> they want to go after cannabis. And I think, well, maybe that's a reason that they want to go after cannabis because it'll increase drink sales. They never said that, but it's a possibility. 
I feel like what we're seeing with the TSA is they seem to be bending over backwards not to catch anybody. You never hear about people getting cannabis seized when they're going through, right. through airports. And with the amount of people who must be carrying it from place to place, I think it's clear to me that even if something leafy shows up on the screen as they're you know, pushing your luggage through, they're not doing anything. That, that's my guess. Well, I have no That's very proof. true. And that's what I found in earlier articles I wrote about airports. But there is an exception. It's true that, that uh, the TSA is not sniffing things out domestically. It's just too much of a sticky wicket. There's too many rules, too many people with prescriptions. Internationally, it's unquestioned. You're not allowed to bring it internationally. Even if you're going to a country like Canada that has legalized recreational cannabis, you can't bring it back and forth across the border then either. So cruise ships are considered international. You're going in international waters. So right. think of it as an international flight. And add to the fact, by the way, that if you're caught with cannabis, you could be thrown off the cruise ship or you could even be penalized in the country that you happen to be in when you're caught. Like you go to Jamaica or something, right? So that's wow. double jeopardy. Um, I'll add to that on top of that, it's illegal to smoke in almost every area of a cruise ship anyway. There are very few designated areas left. In fact, even Carnival now in some ships has non-smoking casinos and smoking casinos. And if you smoke it on board, you're breaking a lot of rules anyway that they could get you on. I think there's like a $500 fine. So it's not- I, I got to say though, Jason, it's funny that you chose Jamaica. As your example of where you're going to yeah, get maybe into a bad trouble, example. don't don't they just wait? <laughs> they welcome you with open arms if you bring ganja. To uh, yeah, there was a, probably a time when your passport stamp looked like a cannabis leaf. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but you're not allowed to traffic. Essentially, is what you would be doing. And the, the only thing you are allowed to do is if you want to partake on shore of whatever country you're in, if it's illegal. And then you can bring your high on board, but you cannot bring any of the substance on board with you. Interesting. And you even give the example of somebody lighting up on their balcony and being turned in oh, by their neighbor the who smells that that so that actually has happened. Oh, all the time. People, you know, there are people who do not enjoy or cannot tolerate the smell of smoke. And so yeah, that happens all the time. Do not count on benevolent neighbors. Or and you know, you think that well then I'll just switch to edibles. Edibles obviously harder to detect unless those dogs are sniffing you on carnival but also still not allowed. All right. Well, we also wanted in this segment to give a preview because you are about to hit the high seas. Tell our listeners where you're going, Jason. And I really hope the seas aren't too high because I'm going to be crossing <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean on the Queen Mary 2. Now this, just you know, on a per personal level, it's one of my favorite trips. And I've taken it now twice before. I take it like about every 10 years. I did it when the Queen Mary 2 first came out. did it 10 years ago, and I did it now. And they're making lots of changes. Um, but it's the only regularly scheduled transatlantic liner crossing left in the world. Of course, in the old days, before the mid-50s, there were tons of cruise uh, or liner lines going back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean, and that's how you did it. And this is the last one left, and the Queen Mary 2 is the only liner that's specifically built to handle the open ocean. It's unlike cruise ships are you know, a little bit shallower, a little bit more wobbly. This is built to cut through the waves. That's um, Cunard has invited me along, and it's going to also be a special event sailing. The English National Ballet will be doing lots of performances and sailing along with us from Southampton, England, all the way to Brooklyn, New York, over I think it's about a week. 
So I'll make sure oh to post goodness. a lot of that on Instagram. If any, if uh, anyone does wants to follow Fromers on Instagram, we're Fromers, and I'll make sure to put lots of things on so you can follow us as we go along and you can ask questions. Wow, I would think seeing them perform will be spectacular. But oh my goodness, I can't imagine a more intimidating group of people to have hanging out around the pool in their bathing suits. I know. I'm going to stay away from the fitness center, but then again, (laughs) I do anyway. Oh, uh, wow. And you were saying that you're going to be specifically looking at some things that have changed with Cunard. Uh, you, you, You told me they have more events and they have solo cabins now. Are you going to be in a solo cabin? I will not be in a solo cabin because I'm going to be sailing with someone. But a few years back, Without much announcement, they took one of the uh, public spaces and turned it into a bunch of brand new, newly built, beautiful luxury solo cabins. Slightly more expensive than if it were, you know, just a solo fare traveling doubly. You pay a little bit of a surcharge, but um, it's designed for basically changing travel habits. Not everyone travels with someone anymore. Not everyone can or wants to. So they found a real strong need to add these solo cabins. I think Norwegian was one of the first cruise lines to do that about 10, 15 years ago to a special section just for solo cabins that are just as nice and just as well-placed as the traditional cabins. Because I think in the old days, if you wanted a solo cabin, you might find yourself hidden away on a lower deck somewhere. And these right. the objective was to make them an equal product. And so they've added but, a bunch of those, and I, I will hopefully be checking them out, but it's going to be a full sailing. We'll see if I can sneak in while someone's- But I got to ask, you said they'll be slightly more expensive, but they wouldn't be more expensive than a single booking a double cabin, never, right? right? That's the way cruise pricing works. For people who aren't familiar, if you go like in a cabin that's built for two, you, you, you would, each person in that cabin, if you're sharing it, pays half. And if you want that cabin to buy to yourself, that standard double cabin, you'd have to pay twice because you're paying for the person who's not there. The solo cabins are priced differently. They're not priced so you have to pay double. There is a special lower solo price that's not as low as half of a double cabin, but it's still much lower than you would have to do on a ship that didn't have a solo specific cabin. Huh. And the Queen Mary is also very famous for having beautiful kennels aboard. For those people who want to bring their dogs yeah, to they the have UK. A, they put in a fire hydrant and an English lamppost that dogs may avail <laughs> themselves of. Apparently, it's a very popular spot for Instagram pictures. Uh, so I don't know if I will be using the fire hydrant, but I'll check it out. I'll put a picture up. Okay. Uh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I can't wait to see that. All right. Well, like a, a little bit of a coming attraction. Thank you so much, Jason, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. See you again soon. far from home, anything can happen. That's why more than 70 million American travelers trust Allianz Travel Insurance to protect their adventures. With benefits for medical emergencies and evacuations, trip cancellations, travel delays, and baggage mishaps, you can travel with perfect peace of mind. Learn more and get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. We're going to continue this discussion of cruising with Carolyn Spencer-Brown, She is the Chief Content Officer for Cruise Media. Hey, Carolyn, always such a pleasure speaking with you. Hi, Pauline. It's great to be back. So I wanted to talk to you about something that's cruise adjacent, and we'll get back to cruising too. 
Because now there are so many massive cruise ships at ports around the world, the crowds that stream off those boats can sometimes badly impact the vacations of people who just happen to be in the ports. This is something I wrote about for Fromers.com. But if somebody just happens to be in a port city where cruise ships are unloading 5,000, 4,000, 3,000 passengers, how can they avoid the crowds? What are some tips that you would give? Well, many of the cruise uh, travelers who come off the bigger ships, they're on shore excursions, and the shore excursions are organized to be not just in town, in the cities, in the most popular places, but they go all over the surrounding area. So they do disperse the crowds to some extent. I would say that what you want to do, if you want to go to very popular places like the Louvre or, you know, really huge uh, marquee places, try to do it earlier or later. The ships don't even get in there till about nine. They leave around five. There's still time. I remember going to Dubrovnik on my own and a, and a couple ships were in town and you couldn't get up. The, there's this beautiful outdoor high, um, you could walk around the, the, the wall surrounds the town and you couldn't even get up the steps at noon. Wow. But at, at nine, it was beautiful. And at five, it was beautiful. So, so mm. I would go every day and I would just pick my times. So you want to be a little bit strategic about what, what kind of timing you have for your day to avoid the crowds. And is it true that a lot of cruise ship passengers go back to the ship for lunch? A lot and of- so generally afternoons will be lighter than mornings? I, I would say... Um, Lunchtime is an interesting conundrum. They'll typically not really research where they're going to go for lunch. So they'll end up at the the most common places, you know, the places with, you know, pictures of the food and uh-huh. that kind of thing. So if you really care about lunch and you're you're big on food, research really cool restaurants that, that cruise travelers won't have, have known about. So that would be my tip. That's what I do in port. And I found some really marvelous spots that way. The afternoons, people are still out about in the afternoons. But remember, oftentimes in the high seasons, afternoons are the hottest time of the of the day, and so you may want to kind of limit outdoor excursions, exertions. I guess I was going to say, yeah, especially this year, especially this This year. year, And it's been like the last five years, even though we had a couple years off for the pandemic. uh, It's always hot, and that's true for the Caribbean and for the Mediterranean. Probably not not as true for Alaska, I would think. Or is it? I, I mean, I think we're kind of morphing into the climate change thing. But what we're seeing is that is that uh, everywhere is is having warmer than usual temperatures. And when you look at a place, a destination like Northern Europe, which right now sounds great, you know, they have heat spells too. And what happens is they don't have the same investment in air conditioning than Southern Europe might, or that you know the U.S. would. Um, so, you know, it can get kind of uncomfortable there too. There's no guarantees if you're traveling in the cruise right. season. So is climate change affecting the cruise season? If the places are, are warmer for longer periods, does that mean it's a longer season? Yeah. It, we're, we're, my favorite ex- new expression is November is the new September, meaning that November is becoming a peak prime time to, to travel in Europe to cruise because the crowds are gone, the kids are back in school, and and the weather is much more pleasant. Huh. So it's it's when you say peak and prime, 
that's not not you're not talking about pricing. You're simply talking about uh, value. Uh, that's the great time to go because you're going to get really lovely weather, right? Yeah, and and also you know April April used to be really dicey, and I was in London in April this year, and it was it it was a little chilly, but it it's, it was sunny most of the time, and it was perfectly pleasant, and it wasn't as crowded as it would be later in the summer. Does this hold also for the Alaskan cruise season? Is that expanding too? Yeah, it's interesting because when I first started covering cruise, you didn't even start Alaska until June. Right. And you ended in August. And now the season is April to really deep into September. Um, so it's, huh. it's interesting to see that that some some destinations are really expanding their seasons. And another one that's a great case in point is in the Mediterranean and in Europe, at Western Europe, because Viking had started this with the big, it's ocean ships, where it was just going year round around the Met. Huh. And I wow. cruise in December on Viking Star, and it couldn't have been more beautiful. And there was just, and, and we went to all the Christmas markets and, you know, the one in Monaco, and it was just really fun and enjoyable. And it's different. You, you, you've got to bundle up sometimes, but you're not going to be maybe lying by the by the uncovered pool all that often. Right. But, you know, we don't simply have time to do that much anyway. And it's really neat. And now we're seeing that the river lines are expanding their their seasons in Europe to be, you know, January through March it used to be downtime for everybody. And now Viking has started offering cruises at that time of the year. Is that because you're more likely to actually have navigable water? Yeah. I know that, that there's been a problem in, in the height of summer that sometimes the water levels are too low for these boats. Yeah, I mean that's that's become a in ten years that's become a consistent challenge. Is that that drought conditions or or less snowpack in the in the Alps means that the the waters get quite low um, in the summertime. And you know it's it's still a fun trip, but it's not quite as relaxing when you have to switch boats in the middle of the Danube because you can't go any further, or perhaps more broadly the Rhone the Rhine. But yeah, I think I think people are learning that a little weather is is something not something they can't handle. And you know, when you talk about weather, one of the most popular places that almost everybody has on their bucket list is Antarctica. And let me just say, huh. it, it's always got weather. So huh. people don't yeah. mind that if they're feeling adventurous. Before we leave the 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 river ships, how does changing boats help? Do do they have smaller or or flatter bottoms or or and I had always thought that the thing that happened to river cruise passengers was it morphed into a bus tour sometimes. Well, that's how the the lines originally dealt with it when it was new a new problem when the 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 low spots in the river were a new problem, but now they're used to dealing with it because it's been huh. at least a decade of, of almost consistent now and then or all summer. I mean, you, you just don't know. And what what happens is there may be spots in the river that are low, but not the whole river is low. You know, they can still move up and down the river, but they can't get past this one low spot. So what they'll huh. do is they'll they'll dock at the nearest town. Viking Viking does this, and and Ama does this too. And and they both have the lucky situation that most of their ships are identical. So you huh. basically go pack up, you get you go to your same, same cabin on the next ship, and everything's the same. Wow! So it's just oh my goodness, dealing with it. I had read that the Douro boats for the that river in Portugal known as the Douro. Uh, that's that 
that's always been a lower river. And so the boats have a different design. They do. Do you you think in the future, maybe all cruise ships or all river ships will, will morph into that design so that they can deal better with these low water situations? I can't say if they will morph into that same design, but they are all actively exploring design challenges where they can remove kind of what what do you call it um reduce the draft the draft is the is is the the space under the under the boats now these cruises uh, and i always get in trouble for saying this but uh river cruises usually i've found have a very much older clientele one that picks them for the high luxury of the experience and for the convenience are they still able to charge as much if you have to be consistently changing boats like that? I would think that would anger uh, some of these luxury-seeking customers. Well, I think it's very important that 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 the luxury-seeking customers get good information before they book a cruise, get information that this could be a possibility from their travel agent, from media, from friends. You know, it's important that people be well-educated that this is a possibility and this happens and you just you need to go with it. For the cruise lines, I mean, it doesn't cost them less. It costs them more to deal with it. Huh. So, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So so no, no discounts are on the horizon <laughs> for river no, cruising. I don't see that happening. Now, it used to be also uh, that taking a smaller cruise ship would usually be the height of luxury, or you would take an expedition cruise, which wasn't luxurious necessarily, but was pricey because it went to places that ships usually weren't able to get to, and they were smaller, and they would carry researchers on on board. Both of those categories, though, have been changing and expanding rapidly, right? Absolutely. First of all, people have gone from being consumers of things to consumers of experiences. The more unusual out-of-the-way ports, the smaller ships that can nip in and out of them, and expedition, which is, you know, these are bucket list destinations that you almost can't do on your own in any in any kind of similar quality way. When we're talking about Antarctica, we're talking about Galapagos, we're talking about the Arctic, they're they're exploding. And it's it's funny because I think as exciting as it is about Icon of the Seas from Royal Caribbean being the new biggest ship ever when it comes out in January and it's exciting and bells and whistles, it, it consumes all the oxygen. But people are really growing to love the small ship experience. And as people are flocking to it, it's becoming more luxurious. It's becoming less utilitarian, especially especially in the um, expedition space where luxury is is becoming the new norm. And, and you know, I went on a trip last year, and I, I and it was on Silver Sea Silver Endeavor, which is a really upscale ship, and it has everything a, a regular cruise ship would have, which is not what the old expedition ships were like. And I thought, well, it huh. overwhelm the experience on land because you know when you go to Antarctica, it's a rugged experience. You're hiking, you're kayaking, and and I felt that it was kind of nice to come back to a ship and just feel a little bit pampered after a long day outside. Really, so when when you say that it had everything a, a regular ship would have had, what does that include, and how is that different from how it used to be? Oh, a range of restaurants. You could have French, you could oh. have Italian, you could have a range of bars, um, all sorts of beautiful public spaces that were all morphed into this library with all these small, worn rooms where they were so cozy. Great outdoor spaces, an indoor pool with high glass, so you were like 
you were in the pool, you could see glaciers and it was the most incredible thing. It, and, and butlers, <laughs> you had butlers. I never know what to do with my butler, but uh, <laughs> you know, we figured it out. I would say play bridge with your butler. That's what you do with the butler. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just came to mind. Well, before I let you go, I do have to discuss Icon of the Seas since you brought it up. I do not think I have ever seen a, a major cruise ship debut to such negative press. Usually when these mega ships uh, come on the horizon and everybody covers them, it's a lot of ooing and eyeing about all of the new bells and whistles on board and how many people it will carry. But everybody, it seems to me, or at least half the media has been saying this is a monstrosity. Is that having to do with the boat or is it? Does it show that we have a, a a mind shift in how we're looking at these over the top travel products? I'm going to be really honest here. I think uh, I, I, what I'm thinking about is a story that was in the New York Times about Icon of the Seas and portrayed it as the devil. And hmm. I was so disappointed. I, I love the Times. I, I subscribe. I read it every day. That story was abysmal. I don't know who edited that story, but it, there was no context. There was no both sides presenting, you know, there was, there was not a lot of discussion on what Royal Caribbean Group is doing in this industry to bring in more sustainable ships. Uh, huh. It was just, it was just somebody who, it, it's constant, this constant thing in mainstream media where people are, who don't get crews are writing about crews and people who don't get crews are editing about crews and they're not even thinking it through. Huh. Yes, there are things the crews can do better. Of course there are. But, I, you know, Royal Caribbean's always had the newest, biggest ship ever since, I don't know, since the last 15 years, I, I'm roughly. I remember when Oasis of the Seas came out. It was kind of a similar, kind of a similar, there was a little bit of a backdraft on that. And yet, how many people have had amazing vacations? How many families have had amazing vacations on that ship? I know we have. My husband and I have had an incredible experience on that ship. So I, I think, I, I would like to see the media be a little bit more educated and a little bit more rational. I, th I think it's perfectly fine for them to point things out that need to be changed or fixed, but I think they need to listen and learn what they're missing because I, I, I can't even read the stories half the time anymore. I'm just so sick of it. It just doesn't serve anyone. Would you be willing to say what are they pointing out needs to be changed or fixed and, and what is your argument with their arguments. There was a story recently on norovirus on a cruise line. And oh my God, norovirus has been around for years. Yeah. And it was only all about, you know, norovirus has come back to cruise and blah, 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 blah. Norovirus is everywhere. Not one place in that story did they say norovirus is in hospitals. It's in schools. It's in libraries. It's in my brother's house one time when I went to visit and I got it. I Good think, Lord. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I'm not asking people not to tell, tell stories and tell the truth, but also Tell it with context. Yeah. It, you know, it's educated. Travelers want to be educated. Educate us. Yes. Yes. I, uh, but I also think that, that there might be a mind shift. There was a story told, and of course, it's how you take the photo, but just the photo of the teeming masses aboard that ship that's all candy colored and over the top. And I I felt like maybe coming out of the pandemic, we may have different aesthetics uh, about what we want out of travel. They're, they're, I looked at that photo. I didn't fully read the article, but I looked at that photo and my stomach turned upside down. 
And, uh, you know, I, my daughter's in a rock band, uh, Melt. <laughs> Actually, you hear her song at the end of this uh, podcast. I've had people ask about it online. So it's it's Sour Candy by Melt. That's the song that we're playing at the end of this podcast. Uh, but I have felt when I've gone to see her concerts, uh, I've felt uncomfortable being in a crowd, which is something that I didn't feel before. So ding, 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 by the way, on that. I, I want to address one thing about that photo. Icon of the Seas is six months away from being finished. That was not a photo of Icon oh. of the Seas. And that was in the New York Times. So what, what? it was a computer generation from the cruise line or did the New York Times from, do it? But hmm. I, I, it was not a photo. The, the, you can't see any of that six months before a ship is finished. Interesting. But back to the change in travel patterns and habits in the pandemic, I was I, I think you're dead on about that. I think that one of the lasting um, effects of having lived through the COVID era is a lot of us don't want to be around pe too many people. And I yeah. don't think that's not going to change for me. I was always a little bit more on the small ship um, end of things as it was, but I, I, and I haven't been on a big ship cruise since the pandemic ended or, you know, since we started traveling again, I, huh. I think a lot of people, especially older, you know, older people in the, like the forties plus who can afford a smaller ship with more space. And, and you know, we call the space ratio are going to prefer that kind of cruising. They're going to prefer it when they get into a port that they're not all jammed up against a bunch of people. They're going to want to go to ports that, you know, aren't that crowded. And I think that right. will last with us. Interesting. I think well, that's what's uh, fueling the rise in the small ship movement anyway. I think that's part, a very strong part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And also because of climate change, ships can go to different places than they could before. And are, and also maybe because of the growing number of people who are traveling. I mean, you have a lot of ships based in Australia or going down the coast of Africa right. or going around uh, Iceland to places that a decade ago, two decades ago, they didn't, they didn't go. And also these are ships that they, they, they arrange it so that they're not in port with others. So we did Windstar and Viking both two years in a row around Iceland. And I don't remember ever being in a port except for the starting port of Reykjavik with another ship. I don't huh. remember ever seeing another ship. So um, I think that that's, I think that that's important to people. Um, and, and uh, I don't think that will change. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. Well, as always, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you, Carolyn. Thank you so much for appearing on the Firmer Travel Show. It's my pleasure. And that's it for this week's show. I thank you so much for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. Watching cable